Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. And welcome to Weather Geeks. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I bet you've heard of the Green Berets, but have you heard of the Gray Berets? Well, you have now because I'm joined by one, Major Jonathan Sawtell. He's with an elite meteorological forecasting team of the U.S. Air Force and our military. First of all, thank you for your service. And then second of all, what is a special operations weather team? Special ops weather team, we are airmen. We are in the Air Force. Sure. We're in the Air Force Special Operations Command. And most specifically, we're in a you know, specialized ground special ops component called special tactics. Our job as meteorologists is to go into a brand new location and give America home field advantage, unlock the secrets of the climate, the microclimate, the terrain and the weather that we've never known before. Right. So we'll field sensors or we'll put human beings in there at great risk to understand what the weather conditions are before we continue on with the mission. Yeah, and I, I imagine there's some places we cannot go with this conversation, so definitely feel free to kind of calibrate me if I ask you something we can't. But And, and so you're going in and with advanced teams, perhaps with some of our other special ops forces, elite forces, and sort of assessing the weather situ situation to support the mission of, of that particular day. That's correct, and because we are operators as well, we will go out either as single individuals with other teams from the Army or the Navy, for example, or we can go out in our own Air Force teams to conduct special reconnaissance. Now, you said you're a meteorologist, so clearly you're trained, and I know you have a background from the University of North Dakota, is that right? That's and, correct. And you're currently at the, at the Pentagon, but uh, you've certainly been in the field as well. Now, so you obviously have a meteorology training, but do you have sort of other types of training that may surprise people that you can talk about? At Absolutely. Least? All special ops weather teams are able to move, shoot, and communicate day or night in all types of conditions. I think our, our motto is anytime, any place. So we are ready to do that. Yeah. No. And you know, we all know the types of tools that meteorologists use: weather tools, uh, radar, satellite. I bet you guys have some fairly interesting tools. What types of meteorological tools that you guys use in the field? Actually, one of the most uh, reliable tools we use is the Kestrel. It's a handheld weather ah, device. Ah, yeah, I use that. that. Sure. Um, one of the more difficult things is temperature bias because sometimes the barrels of our guns are so hot we can't actually get the correct ambient temperature around us. Right. So now talk about that because again, this is weather geek, so we can go there with geeky terms. So what do you mean by a temperature bias? Well, it, it's very important for helicopters to know exactly what type of atmosphere they're flying in. It depends on the pressure and the temperature alike, especially if they're going over long distances. If we have a team who's in a serious gunfight with, with insurgents or a, an adversary, we have to be able to correctly articulate the weather for that inbound helicopter. If the barrels of our guns are too hot, it's very difficult <laughs> to actually relay the correct data without any bias. Right, right. So yeah, you, now in, in your um, roles, do you have access to things like uh, weather models from the field, um, satellite data? I would imagine so. But. Absolutely. We are fully networked in with the, the entire Air Force weather 
enterprise right. that runs a global model and has a team of experts that focus regionally on good forecasting. Now, and we've had um, some of your colleagues from those units here on Weather Geeks before to kind of learn about the big picture, but now we're taking that big picture and bringing it down to the, uh, the field of, of battle, so to be, or at least the pre-field in some cases. Um, now, as scientists, uh, you're scientists in, on the field, um, do you feel that you have to prove yourself uh, as a part of the unit that you're sort of embedded with or maybe embedded with? Or are you fully integrated as a, a team member? It becomes that way. Yeah. But there's nothing more important where we work than credibility, trust, and relationships. You have to have all three. Yeah. And it's interesting because we wouldn't send a special ops weather person to a location if we knew what the weather was going to be. Sure. But when you get there, they want your forecast to be right, right. the first time so that you establish credibility. And that, those first few days are usually very difficult. Right. Now, how, how is the, and I guess you're affectionately called, or people know you not only as the Gray Berets, but also Salties, Salty. I've heard that term That's as right. well. Uh, many people may be familiar with that. Um, how long has the program been around? Is, is this a long running effort within our system? Or? The, the, uh, the idea, the concept of Salties has been around pretty much since World War II, where we've had uh, combat meteorologists jumping in behind enemy lines, reporting back as large uh, squadrons of bombers are traveling across Europe through terrible weather, only to have to turn around and come back. So they're putting themselves at great unnecessary risk. They're burning a lot of fuel. So you drop a weather officer in behind enemy lines, and you know the realities, and you can make better decisions. Right. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit, because we were chatting a little bit before we came on the air, and you were talking about physical training. How, just how rough is the physical training? I mean, I think people have a good sense of, of what uh, is involved in the military, but you, you, you weren't just sort of studying atmospheric dynamics. You, you've been out there and done some rigorous training. Is Absolutely. That you wouldn't find any Saudi that doesn't like being outside <laughs> or at the gym. Right. Uh, but uh, our, our basic test is uh, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups a three mile run and a 1500 meter swim. Right. So you got a lot of guys that are in Olympic lifting, they're in the CrossFit, triathlons, you gotta carry a rucksack, 60 pounds or more with all your kit on and gear, parachutes, you know? Wow. And be ready to do all that, go 12 miles, and then that's when the fight starts. Right, and so that's just the physical aspects, and then your expertise as meteorologist kicks in. Tell us about, because again, this is just fascinating with here. Here we're talking to the Southees here, um, and uh, the major that's joined us. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, tell us about the human experience of being a Southee. Uh, what is it really like working under such extreme conditions? You know, the the science of meteorology is ultimately uncertain. You can do all the analysis, get all your data together, you feel the forecast but there's still uncertainty, there's still a probability you could be wrong. Right. Yeah. Same with battle. You train, you're equipped, you're ready, you're ready for the moment, you leap out of the aircraft, you step out of the helicopter, but there's an uncertainty in your plan, the enemy's adapting as well. Right. So you're taking two worlds, your science world, your warrior world, and both of them are uncertain in your outcome. Right. You know, and um, there's, there's a moniker on the Special Tactics Memorial that says, with, as long as the enemy is in front of me, my teammates are beside me and my family's behind me. I will fight to my last breath. Right. And that is really what it comes down to in the end. As, as you were making your way through your meteorological training at the University of North Dakota and then sort of, uh, did you have this in mind as a career option? How did, how did you take this career pathway? I had a commandant of cadets who had done combat weather when he was a young officer in the Air Force. I said that. Sounds like a challenge I want to rise to. Right. Uh, but uh, but in, in, then once you decided that, what was your next step? Well, I graduated school and went off to Germany for two years to do the regional forecasting for the Air Force. 
and then uh, assessed and was selected to go to Fort Bragg to begin the training. Okay, to and be, uh, I, I think I know a little bit about what happens at Fort Bragg. People jump out of airplanes and things like that. They sure do. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about, because we were talking about this, um, you're part warrior and you're part scientist, but you're also a human being. Talk a little bit about sort of that element of going off to do your job for our nation and what that means for you, um, your, uh, your cohort, and your family. Absolutely. So when you're a Southie, you always have a deployment on the horizon. So you always know that you're going to go overseas, you're going to focus on a problem set to serve your nation. And uh, when you depart, when you say farewell to your family, you know, that they're saying goodbye to you in the highest hopes, but no guarantees that you'll return safely. And uh, I know individuals like one young man named R.D. who's going to retire or has retired after two decades RD. of service. We're going to call him R.D. Thank you, R.D. Uh, you know who you are. R.D. from Pittsburgh. And R.D. is the kind of guy, he was tough, he was intelligent. We sent him to the hardest places every single time he left. Yeah. And his young wife said farewell. And he always came home safely yeah. every time and she was able to say hello. But R.D. was the kind of guy that if you didn't send him to the worst place, he was going to give you grief about right, it. Right, right. And so this is why, you know, the, the dedication of these brave heroes, I mean, we owe them our thanks for our freedom and our ability to talk freely about whatever we want, including weather on Weather Geek. So I want to kind of pivot back to the discussion. Within reason and how much you can say, how does sort of being first, boots on the ground, sort of the decoder ring, if you will, of an operation, how does that give us an advantage? Well, most of the time we leave our soil for foreign soil and you've, you're facing an enemy there who might have grown up there playing hide and seek. They know the ins and outs. Yeah. They know how to use the valleys, the dust, the winds, the sun to their advantage, and we haven't quite figured that out yet. So it's our, it's our ability to do that, but then also articulate how to use that to our advantage. For example, there was a small fire base at a certain location that had so much mud around it, it was very difficult to move. Well, our SAO-T was able to figure out that when the temperature reached a certain point, the mud was thick enough we could actually get in and get out before the clock strike midnight, if you right. will. You just talked about one example with mud flow. Is there a story that you want to tell us? I, I heard something from one of the producers about a snow sensor or something along those lines. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. In Afghanistan, operating, Operation Enduring Freedom, uh, there was a, a valley there that was basically the singular access to a certain area where 19 million pounds of cargo would go through every year to help source the fight up there. I mean, that's beans, bullets, and butter to keep everybody up and running. And uh, when the snow would fall too hard, the convoys going through that valley would be sitting ducks for an ambush. Wow. And we're talking about young soldiers at risk uh, because of the weather, and that is, that's absolutely not acceptable. Yeah. So it took about 18 months for several meteorologists inside special ops and outside to piece together some advanced technology and you see that we erected this snow sensor up. The data goes right back to the planning cell and they can make smart decisions in real time on wow. when to go, when not. Now I want to pivot to a discussion. You're dealing with a situation where you're providing critical weather information uh, that could mean life or death in some cases. Uh, are there any things that you think about in terms of communicating weather or scientific information to someone that's not necessarily a scientist, like perhaps your stakeholder, customer, or the public? Absolutely, you know, a task force commander overseas carries the weight of the mission and the lives of his or her troops on their shoulders singularly. And it's our job to be in the room, in the conversation when the task force commander is making decisions. Yes. They know very little about weather, right. but they need articulated the impacts. Right. We have to say it in such a way that they understand it, 
that they have, we have the credibility they're receiving and they can take that for action right. at the right time and the right place. Well, and let me give you an example of in the, here in the public sector. So earlier in 2017, there was a forecasted blizzard or snowstorm in the mid-Atlantic. Um, it actually, uh, the worst of the blizzard was actually a bit further west than the, the larger cities of New York, Philadelphia, and, and D.C. And some people said that was a missed forecast. In fact, it certainly did impact many parts of the, of the uh, mid-Atlantic, but it's just not the big cities. But there was sort of a margin of error. We saw that with Hurricane Matthew as well last year in Florida. Just a margin of error, but a fairly decent forecast. Uh, do you have these same kind of margins for the types of decisions that need to be made? I mean, and, and how do you convey that uncertainty? And that's a tough question, isn't it? It can be because you will brief the weather at night and perhaps that's the end of your shift. Yeah. And you'll go back to your bunk and you know that they're going to go fly, they're going to go fight in the conditions that you anticipated. Sure. And the price to pay for being wrong could be their lives. Sure. It could be mission success. Sure. Um, if the team has the flexibility and resources to be prepared for the changes in weather and the uncertainty that you have, you know, that can take time and resources away from them, but it's always less expensive to be prepared for a crisis than to not be prepared and have to face it after. And I'm glad you said that because that echoes something that uh, former FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate, who we had on the show, basically said as well. You have to give people the worst case scenarios and the best case scenarios so that they can be prepared. So it sounds like that our nation's top uh, military advisors uh, need that information in that way as well. Now I do want to pivot now because you have a new role on Capitol Hill, is that right? That's correct. Okay, tell us about that. <laughs> well, it'll be a responsibility to advocate for Special Operations Command and all the operators and support folks in it for the resources from our government to win today's fight and be prepared for tomorrow's threats. Sure, and it, it, it's certainly a different fight now and it's an evolving uh, fight, I imagine. Uh, do you, what do you see as the role of Southeast? Uh, are you gonna be growing in numbers? The role, the role is still there irrespective of budgets or, or different policies and whatnot? That role is always there. The role there. is still there. there. There is still an appetite for certainty. There's still an appetite to buy down risk because of the weather. There's yeah. still an appetite to always have the greatest advantage over the enemy. Right. I see South T leveraging uh, cyberspace in the, in the digital atmosphere even greater than we ever have before to get a better idea of weather conditions in the smallest and most remote places. Right, and that was actually something I was gonna ask, sort of what's the sort of next thing out there that you see can that can really improve your jobs? That's really probably talk? classified. Yeah. Uh, uh, I bet it is, and he, he warned me that there were some things that he certainly couldn't talk about, so we certainly respect that because it's for our safety. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you're called the Green Beret. I'm sorry, the Gray Berets, the Gray Berets. I believe, you know, Clausewitz wrote, about the fog of war. And I think it's our pledge as Southeast that uncertainty in the weather should not be a fog that inhibits our successful missions. That, that, that's where we have to end it. I want to thank you so much for your service and time here on Weather thank Geeks. You, and thank you for joining us on Weather Geeks. We'll see you next week on Weather Geeks. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.